Well, it's kind of fun. Speaking of that, Becky and I yesterday, with that being that five-year church anniversary, looking back at the pictures, man, it's fun. And you probably say this a lot too. When you go back and look at something, you're like, wow, I never thought we would be here, right? You know that? You look back at old pictures, your maybe engagement pictures if you're married, it's like, wow, I never thought this would happen and we would end up in this place. Or man, the first picture of you as a dad or as a mom, wow, I never thought, I never could have expected life would become like this. Look back at old high school pictures, wow, I look a lot better back then, but I never thought life would have done this or we would have ended up here. It's difficult to predict the future, isn't it? It's difficult to predict where we will end up. And as we kick off this new series, All the Family Feels, we're going to be talking about family over the next several weeks. Keep in mind your family dynamic. So married, not married, divorced, widowed, kids, no kids, kids, but they're out of the house, kids, but they really need to be out of the house. Whatever your family dynamic is, when I say family, I want you to hear and put it in context of the people that are closest to me. So maybe that's parents, maybe that's siblings, in-laws. There's a lot of family dynamics outside of just married and unmarried. So put it in context of, well, who are the people closest to me? And what tends to happen when you look at family and where you're at, it's difficult to, to forecast or to predict where we will end up. Now we have our wishes and our hopes and maybe even our prayers of, man, I really hope our family is like this, or I hope our family ends up like this, or I hope this is how our kids turn out. But do we have any control over that? And what I want us to see is there's actually a way, we'll go through some biblical truths and principles here in a little bit, of how to look at where we're at and start to see if I don't change anything, here's probably where we will end up. Here's probably what our family will start to look like. Here's where our kids will start to end up. Because there's a lot of organizations and even businesses that put tons of resources into doing just that to predict our futures, to predict us as a consumer, to predict our behaviors. In fact, UPS is one of them. UPS takes a ton of data with all of their customers and they put it into all these algorithms and they're able to flag certain customers that are close to switching to a competitor. They know what to look for. When they see certain habits, when they see certain trends, when they see certain numbers fall off, they know this customer is about a week or two away from leaving UPS to go to another, to another uh, business, FedEx or something. So we're gonna call them and help them stay with us. So UPS does that. They've got people that that is their job. Credit card companies do this. In fact, credit card companies, they have claimed that they can be 90% accurate. You ready with this? That they can be up to 90% accurate predicting a couple's divorce. Isn't that crazy? Where they look at all spending habits and what they're buying and, and where they're going. I mean, they are able to compile all this data, not to save marriages, that would be helpful, but not to save marriages, but to say, oh, they're getting ready to be a divorce. Let's hike up their interest rate because it's gonna be a little rough for a few years. They start looking at that as a red flag, as an indicator. They're predicting behaviors. They are able to predict within 90%, let that sink in when a couple will get a divorce. This other company, this is my favorite one. Let's check this out. So Target does this as well. In fact, Target does uh, the, this predictive behavior modeling. And in fact, they give what they call, you ready for this? Every shopper gets one of these. So if you shop at Target, you have one of these uh, for them. They have a pregnancy prediction score for every shopper. Some of the guys are like, including me, I guess so. I don't exactly know how it works. 
But every shopper, and they get all this information, you know, you do like the rewards programs, you put in a phone number and email. So they're compiling data, they're tracking your shopping habits, and there are certain markers they look for where before you might even know, they're predicting if and when you will be pregnant by your pregnancy prediction score. One of the target reps said it this way. He said, we knew that if we could identify them, the shopper, in their second trimester, there's a good chance we would capture them for years. As soon as we get them buying diapers from us, they're gonna start buying everything else too. So before you even know, they're looking for certain trends and behaviors and habits to predict when you will be, a, a, for them, the perfect consumer, the perfect customer. One of these companies that they specialize in all this data collection and trends, and then they, they sell all that to these different organizations to help them with their future predictions of behavior. One of the, the reps at this company said, if you show us what you buy, we can tell you who you are, maybe even better than you know yourself. Scary but true, isn't it? It's like, do they really do that? Yes, because our behaviors, if go, gone unchanged, will lead us to a destination. The path that you're on will lead you somewhere, and that can become rather predictable if you know what you're looking for. So with your family right now, your habits, your behaviors, where are they leading you? Instead of looking 10 years down the road and looking back saying, oh man, how did we end up here? I never thought we would be one of those statistics of getting divorced. I never thought our kids would, I never thought we would. But if you start looking back and you start, okay, now I can start to see it along the way. What if we could reverse that and actually start where we are here? Say, where do we want to end up? Where does Jesus want our families to be? And can we adjust our behaviors so that we actually end up there? Can we look at our habits, can we look at our behaviors to be able to better predict where we are going and change it if we need to? If these credit card companies and Targets and UPSs, if, if they put a lot of time, money, and resources into predicting our behavior, family's so much more important then anything that they're working towards, can we do the same thing in our families and in our lives as well? So here's what I'm hoping happens. I'm hoping we're able to do just that. For the next several weeks through this series, as you put in context family, these biblical principles that we're gonna walk through, what needs to change? What needs to adjust? Where am I going? Where is our family gonna end up? If we don't change anything, where's it gonna end up? So then we can adjust. So we end up having the family that we desire and the family that God has called us to have. One of our values around here is authenticity. So we're gonna be real, we're gonna be honest, we're gonna have some fun in the process of doing so, but I'll just give you a heads up, it's gonna take some work, right? It, it takes you taking a good look at your home and at your family and at yourself and then being honest about it. And it's gonna take some work because we've gotta change some things potentially. We've gotta be open with some certain things. We've gotta to come to grips with certain realities and it's good work. I mean, the work of growing and having and living in a healthy, thriving family, oh, it's worth the work. It's worth the work. So, you ready for some work? Not really. It's <laughs> usually what we get. I promise it's worth it. All right, so say this with me. We're going to get you all ready for it. Say, let's work. Let's all right, so some of you are like, let's work. <clears throat> this is something we're all going to have to be, be all in with, all right? And this is not like, no, I'm good. My wife needs to work at this, but I'm good. No. This isn't like you get to go to IHOP where the other family members have to listen to me for the next several weeks. No, this is we're all in this together. We're gonna work at it. We're gonna work towards it. So let me hear you say, let's work. Let's work. 
All right, that's better. All right, so first thing we're gonna work at, grab your worship guide or something to take notes on. I'm gonna have you write down two words real quick. Two words. The first word you need to write down is the word with. W-I-T-H, with. Like we're doing something together, with each other. Doing something with your family. W-I-T-H, with. Leave yourself a good amount of space. And the next word is for. Not the number four, but doing something for someone else. F-O-R, for. With and for. We're gonna talk a lot about those two words and how they interact and even have the tension between the two of those, with and for. As you're writing that down, let me read this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise by the world's standards, you need to become a fool to be truly wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. Here's why I'm reading that as we're thinking about working in our families is we could be on two extremes or somewhere in the middle where I've got it all figured out, our family's good, we kind of know our rhythms, we know how to work with each other and it's all good. Could it be on the other extreme, it's like we have no idea what we're doing. In fact, we're pretty close to calling it quit. So we are fed up with each other, we are frustrated, I don't know what else to do or somewhere in between. This levels the playing field. Paul says, stop deceiving yourselves. If you think you are wise, if you think you've got it all figured out, if you think you're all good, well, think again. Because by the world standards, we need to actually be considered fools. And if you're like, man, I've tried everything, and you, can I encourage you to try it God's way and, and leaning into where he's leading you? Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, or that doesn't seem normal. Can I just give you permission to not have a normal family? Normal in our world today is, is divorce is 50% of all marriages. That's normal. Are you okay with normal? Are you okay with normal? No. no. So don't have a normal family. So stop deceiving ourselves. Just because this is the way everybody else does it doesn't mean that that's gonna be what we are desiring and what God would desire for us, a healthy, growing, thriving family. So regardless of where you find yourself and where you think your family's at, let's be open, open-handed with our family. What might need to change? Let's be open eyes, open hearts, open ears to what God would have to say to us through his word about where our families need to be. So you ready to work once again? All right, here we go. All right, get your Bibles. Luke chapter 10. I'm gonna tell you a story. If you've been with me for the last five years, you've probably heard me preach through this before. It's one of my favorites. So much to pull out of it. You'll hear a couple of new things today. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named, say her name, her name was... Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all these preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and asked, and this is worth underlining or taking note of, she asked, Lord, don't you care? Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, two things I want to point out real quick. First of all, this is probably one of the only passages in Scripture where someone, a human, has commanded Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, to do something. Leave it to Martha to do just that. She invites Jesus over, having a great time, and then she looks at Jesus and says, Jesus, you are creator of the universe. You are the Son of the living God. Here's what I need you to do. You need to go tell my sister <laughs> to stop doing nothing and start helping with something. Right? Great example of siblings, right? Siblings at their very best. So she, she goes into this 
distractions of all these preparations, but she tells Jesus what to do. But right before she tells him what to do, she says this phrase, Lord, don't you, do you remember it? Don't you care? You ever said that? Lord, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? Fill in the blank. For her, it was Jesus, don't you care that I have to do all this by myself? Don't you care? And Jesus responds with so much compassion, had to have had a smile on his face when he said it. It wasn't just Martha, he said her name twice. Martha, Martha. And parents, you know what that means. I mean, you could have added a few more Marthas in there, truly. Like, Martha, 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 Martha. <laughs> Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed. In fact, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken from her. Keep in mind, Jesus didn't say what you're doing is wrong, what she's doing is right. This is not right and wrong. This is not sin and righteous. He says, in this moment, this is important. We're gonna come back to it. In this moment, Mary has chosen what is better. She's chosen what is better in this moment. And what I love about this is we get great insight, not just into who Jesus is, but what he truly cares about. Because that's how Jesus answered her question. It was kind of a rhetorical question. Go back to her question. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, here I am doing all this by myself. Don't you care? And in whatever context you may have said that to Jesus, Jesus, don't you care that I'm dealing with this? Jesus, don't you care that I'm like this? Jesus, don't you care that this is the family that you've stuck me with? Jesus, don't you care? Do you care? And the times that I've said that, I feel like oftentimes Jesus looks at me and says, Brian, 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 Brian. No, I don't care about that <laughs> at all. <laughs> That's what he tells Martha, basically. He says it's so much more nicer as only the, or the Lord could do. But he looks at her and says, Martha, Martha. No, I don't care about that. <laughs> Does he care about Martha? Yes. Does he care about Mary? Absolutely. Does he care that she's doing all these other things while Mary sits at his feet and doesn't help? No. He says, because in this moment, Martha, your sister is doing what is, what was the word? Better. Doing what is better. So this helps us understand what Jesus genuinely cares about. He cares about us all. But in certain moments, he might not care about what you care most about. Did you catch that? We make a lot of assumptions about what Jesus cares about or what he should care about. Martha made an assumption about what Jesus should care about. He said, right now, that's not what I care about. So that's what we want to look at. What does Jesus genuinely care about? For Martha, it was a lesson that was going to have to be a little hard learned. But don't be, don't be too negative on Martha. She's the one that actually invited Jesus over. In fact, if you go through scripture in the Gospels, this is one of the only occasions where someone invited Jesus to their house without needing anything. Usually it's, Jesus, come over because my kid is sick. I need you to heal him. Jesus, come over because we need help with this. Jesus, I need, I need, I need. This is one of the only times that Jesus was invited to a place without a need or an agenda. It was, Jesus, do you want to come over to our house? So it started in a great place, but along the way, she got very, very distracted. She got distracted by so many other things. And what Jesus points out is what Mary's doing is better. And what Mary does here is one of the hardest things I think we could ever be asked to do. Ready for it? To just be. Another translation, translation says that Mary was just sitting there. She was just being there. 
So often we need things to do. We need to find things to do. We're great at multitasking, or at least we like to think that we're great at multitasking. Well, I can, I can have dinner with the family and also finish out a few more things at work. I can, I can finish some emails while I'm at my kid's sports game. I, I, I try to do everything all at once, but what happens is our attention is so divided. We have no focus. We try to be everywhere at once and we end up being nowhere with no one. He says, no, no. What Mary has chosen in this moment is better and she is just sitting there doing nothing. It makes us so uncomfortable, doesn't it? We don't do well with awkward silence. We don't do well with just there. Well, what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to talk about? You're just there. You're fully present. And sometimes you need to just be. Sometimes you need to just be, to just be present, to just be with other people, to just be with Jesus. Think of this not just in your family, in an application of your family, but in your relationship with Jesus, to just be with Jesus. To like Mary, just be able to sit and listen to Jesus without asking for anything, to just be present with Jesus, but also with your family, to just be with your spouse, to be fully present with your kids, to just be. What we really see, the deeper tension here is, like we said, with and for, the relationship, the real personal relationship with one another and all the things we do for someone. In spiritual terms, that's relationship with Jesus versus religion for Jesus. And in, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees, that was a big struggle for them, right? They prided themselves on knowing all things on how to please God, the things to do for God. But they were missing the heart. They were missing the relationship. They were missing the personal relationship with God. So God called them out on it one time. In Matthew chapter nine, listen to what Jesus says. In talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, Matthew nine thirteen, he told this to the religious leaders. He said, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Here's what you need to know about that and why this is important. First of all, talking to the religious leaders, they knew all things of the law in the Old Testament. They were experts in the Old Testament. Here, Jesus looks at these experts and says, you've missed it. Go back and learn what this means. And what he quoted right there is from an Old Testament prophet, Hosea. He says, so you think you know what that means? You have no idea what that means. You're not so much the expert you thought you were. So it would have offended him, first of all. Now, if you go back and actually read what Hosea said, what Jesus was quoting, Hosea says this, from God's perspective, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice. That's what Jesus quoted. An acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offering. So what Jesus is helping these religious leaders understand is I want you, I want to be with you, not just what you do for me. He says, I desire mercy, the relationship, not just sacrifice, what you give up. That's what Hosea, God was saying in Hosea. I desire the knowledge. I want acknowledgement. I want there to be a, a name, a first name basis with you, not just these burnt offerings that you sacrifice and give. So Jesus is helping the Pharisees understand, just like he was helping Mary and Martha understand as well. In this moment, I just want to be with you. I want a connection with you. I want a relationship with you. Not just what you give and give up. Sometimes you need to just be. That's why Jesus said to, Mary, or to Martha, what Mary has chosen in this moment is better. We're not talking right and wrong. But in this moment, she chose to just be present, fully present. And that was better in that moment. Like I said, we don't want to give Martha too bad of a rap. 
Oftentimes we relate more to Martha. But understand, Jesus is not pointing out, be a Mary. Could you imagine a world of Marys right now? Well, what do you do? Nothing. I just sit and listen. Some of you are like, that's my teenager. It might be a little bit. Teenagers are really good at being Mary. <laughs> you just, you don't do anything, right? I'm just listening, I'm being present. Yeah, but if you go back and look at the story, there was things that actually did have to be done. It says that Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, that had to be made. We do have responsibilities in life. We do have realities in life. We have jobs, we have to provide. There's things we have to do for ourselves, for our family, for our community, for our work, for our neighbors. Even Jesus commands us to do things for those different people and for him. So if you were to look at the two, Mary and Martha, and if we put with and for next to each of them, Mary is with Jesus, pure focus, no distractions, completely presence, present. Tension is not divided, with but then you have Martha who's doing so many things for Jesus. If you invite Jesus over for dinner, someone has to make dinner for Jesus. <laughs> that responsibility landed to Martha. So she did have to do some things. Somebody has to clean the house. There are things that have to get done. Those are the things that we do for people, for Jesus. The hard thing is, well, how do we work through both of those? Again, keep in mind, Jesus wasn't saying this is right, this is wrong. It's actually both. So here's what I would tell you. And as we kind of, if you're thinking through the, the story of Mary and Martha, it says Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made, but Mary just sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Check this out. Both are important. You have to figure out what is needed in that moment. Both are important, but what's needed in that moment. So here's what I would tell you. Have the hands of Martha, right? You've got things that have to get done. You have responsibilities you cannot flake on. You have things that you are ultimately responsible for. Be the hands of Martha, but have the heart of Mary. It's not one or the other. It's how do we do both? See, Martha started out with the right heart, most likely. Invited Jesus over to her home. Didn't need anything, just wanted Jesus in her house. And it says that she got distracted by all the preparation. So at some point, doing things for Jesus actually started hindering her relationship with Jesus. We see that in families today. Under the disguise of, I'm providing for my family. We can do so much for other people that we end up not being with them at all. So when you try to do something for them again, guess what? They're not there anymore. And we're all shocked and surprised because, well, I was doing it for them. Yeah, but you never were with them. So now you don't have anyone to do anything for. You see how that works? At some point along the way, Martha lost that heart and got so focused on all the for stuff. She missed the with. You need both. So have the hands of Martha, but have the heart of Mary. It cannot be one or the other. You need to ask yourself in this moment, is this a with moment or is this a for moment? Now, if you're like me, you try to, okay, how do I balance those out? Right? And, and we hear that a lot. Well, you got to balance life. You got to balance work and family. You got to balance church and home life. There's a lot of balance words out there. And if you're not careful, we try to live by that. Because balance, the reason we say balance is so that things don't fall off. 
right? So if I'm trying to balance this, I'm trying to keep it from tipping completely over. The goal of balancing is to keep it upright. Can we all agree on that? Not like you agree with me. Good. So if that's the goal, balancing is the act of trying to do whatever you can to make sure that it's perfectly level at all times. As you can tell, I cannot balance and preach at the same time. It's very difficult, isn't it? Because it takes all of your effort and energy to try to keep things perfectly balanced and you end up being so focused on just the balancing act, you miss everything else and you're walking on eggshells, you're constantly exhausted. This is a tiring process of trying to balance, but we try to do this. Well, I've, I've got work over here and I need to make sure I'm balancing family here and I've got church over here and our kids are in sports here and, and then we got school stuff here and do you see how this is exhausting? And sure, it, it can kind of be done, but not well. This is not what health looks like. That's what an exhausting life looks like. Completely exhausting, tiring, You'll be constantly disappointed because you cannot constantly have things in perfect balance. I worked so much today, there's no way I can make up for it. So then you just feel guilty and bad about it constantly in your life. There's gotta be another way. I'm so glad you think there is. There is another way. Again, the goal of balancing is to keep it upright. So let's say, and we all have these. Man, I worked a lot this week. Well, man, I'm so out of balance. There's no way I can make that up with my kids. You're right. But if the goal is to keep it upright, there's another way to balance it. It's by just pushing down a little bit harder. So even though it's not 50-50, the goal is never 50-50. You can never have 50-50 in every part of your life. It doesn't add up. That math doesn't work. But if you push down a little harder on one side, if you're a little bit more intentional, if you lean in and you press in, now we're talking quality, not quantity. Look, it actually stays upright. And it's a lot more stable this way too. I'm not tiptoeing around. I'm not worried about every little thing. This works. You flip on the other side, and I know this works. If you ever, the day before you go on vacation... You're getting ready to to go and spend a lot of time with family so you have a little bit of time to work. You get a week's worth of work done in one day because I don't wanna be on emails and my phone for vacation. So I hustle, I push a lot harder, I press a lot harder, I lean in a lot more because I have limited time. This idea of categorizing our lives so that everybody has their part does not work. Jesus, don't you care? This is not about all this stuff you're trying to do. In the moment, is this a for moment? Doing things for someone else? Or is this a with? I just need to be present. And usually, the for takes up a lot more of the time. Let's be honest. The things you're doing for other people is most of your day. I mean, I had to travel a lot this last week. There was a lot of things that had to get done at, at the office. And then I'm involved with these things at school. And I have 30 minutes before my kids go to bed. Make it the best 30 minutes of your day with them. Lean in. My, my spouse and I, we travel a lot. And we don't always see each other. Kind of it's just in passing. Make that week and year together count. Lean in. Press in. Balance does not work. Balance is a myth and you will tire out and be frustrated and disappointed and guilty if that's your goal. But if it's leaning in, is this a with moment or is this a for moment? You'll see God honor that. See, there's three types of families. You've got a dysfunctional family, 
We're all striving for that, I'm sure, right? No. No one wants a dysfunctional family. The dysfunctional family is relatively obvious and not necessarily to everybody else, but to at least yourself. You know, I grew up in a dysfunctional family. We have a dysfunctional family right now. We are on our way to being a dysfunctional family. Dysfunctional family at the root of it is nothing more than the with and the for of being non-existent in your family. Instead of being with your family and doing things for one another, neither of those are happening. It's everybody for themselves. That's a dysfunctional family at the very root of it. So then you would say, well, isn't our goal a functioning family, a functional family? The definition of dysfunction is it does not work, so therefore the goal of functional families should be it works. I tell you, that's not a great goal, though, of just we survived another day. My kids are still breathing. I'm a great parent. On some days, yes. <laughs> we haven't divorced yet. Is that, is that really the standard of just getting by and survival and functioning? Functioning, the functioning families look great on Instagram. They look fantastic on social media. They look like everything's working, and it is because it's functioning, but they're missing something. A functioning family is great at the four part of family. We do a lot of things for one another, and we figure out how to get everybody where they're going, and whoo, at the end of the day, high five, go to bed, let's do it again. We know how to make it work. Those are the signs of a functioning family, but you know what a functioning family is missing? The with. We do a lot of things for each other, but we're not doing anything with each other functioning. Third one would be a thriving family, which as you would imagine, has both. There's a lot of for one another in our family, but we haven't neglected the with either. In certain moments, just like Jesus told Martha, what she has chosen is better in this moment, to just be present and just be with your family. So if you're dysfunctional, you know what you need to add. If you're functioning, you know what you need to add. If you're thriving, you know what you need to hold on to, because the goal is not balance. The goal is to, in each and every moment, is this for someone? Is this for me? Or do we just need to be with one another? Jesus said this in John chapter 15, another example of what it looks like to be all in. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So you see what he's doing? You've gotta stay with me, I've gotta stay with you. We need to be together on this. It says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But look, apart from me, you can do, what's it say? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It says, that's the, the importance of being with Jesus and for Jesus being with you and your family. We try to do all these things for, that's what Martha got distracted by, all these things for Jesus and she missed the with part. It says, you're missing it. You're missing it. So don't mishear me. I'm not telling you to, to quit your sports teams and to quit your job and to change all these things on your schedule. Like I said, there's a lot of things that need to happen and should happen. I'm saying don't neglect the with. Lean in, press in, be more intentional on those moments and don't miss out. So here's your challenge. Here's what that can start to, to look like and I want you to know kind of our role as a church in that as well. Because church is important. And I'm not gonna stand up here and tell you that you need to quit everything so you can be at church every week. I think it actually might help. I've never had anybody tell me we were at church every week this last month and our family is worse. I've never had anybody tell me that, ever, ever. Now, maybe people are just afraid to tell me that, but every person, I've, man, we, we were there all together and like, it was great. I'm like, yep. And it's not because of preaching or music. It's 
because of what God does in those with moments. So let me put a color up here. Here's, here's the color yellow. And we're gonna say yellow is gonna represent our faith, our spirituality. That's, that's church's role in there is to help lead you spiritually, help you take next steps spiritually. The light of the world, that's why it's yellow. That's important, right? And oftentimes we try to categorize that, say, okay, here's the, here's the yellow part of my life. Here's the faith part of my life. And then you have the red part of your life. Red part of your life is family. That's the heart, right? That's where love is coming from. Please understand, husbands, no one can love your wife better than you. Wives, no one can love your husband better than you. Parents, no one can love your kids better than you. Parent or kids, does not work with kids that other way necessarily, but we would like to think that no one could love our parents better than kids, doesn't work. You understand, heart and love come from home. And we try to categorize them again. And we're like, well, this and this, but what would happen if instead of trying to have this part of our life and this part of life, we just said, you know what? It's just gonna be all one thing together. Go back to elementary school, see if you remember. What do you do or what, what do you get when you take yellow and red and you mash them together? What do you get? Orange, that's right. So here's my challenge for you. In whatever family dynamic you have, the people closest to you, the challenge is to go orange over this next series. To say, you know what? Instead of trying to balance my faith and home and work and church and everything else, say, you know what? We're just gonna throw it all together. And that's what orange is gonna look like. So here's what a commitment could look like for you and your family if you go orange this next series. Commitment would be to commit to church as a family. Does that mean you have to be here every single week? Like I said, no, but I'm telling you, it probably wouldn't hurt. But say, you know, this is gonna be helpful to talk about church and the way home from here to lunch or from here to home. Keep that conversation going. Please hear this for a second, parents. It is not my job nor our student and kids ministry job to disciple your kids. Not my job, your job. My job is to help you along the way the best that I possibly can, to show you those next steps, to answer your questions, to encourage you and tell you you're doing a good job. It's your job. So commit to church as a family, commit to faith as a family, but also, to invite Jesus into your family. So it's an all week thing. We're not talking one day, one hour a week. We're talking seven days a week, you and your family, where faith is part of not just a day, it's part of our life. And if you're willing to commit to that, we've got a couple things to help you make that a monumental moment. So outside, if you saw the orange couch, now it's starting to make sense. It had nothing to do with Clemson. See, some of you accused me of that this whole last week. If it's Clemson, I'm not showing up. Well. Whatever, it's just a happy coincidence. I don't know what to tell you. So if you go out there, you've got the orange rug, orange cow, take a seat on the orange cow, get a big sign that says we're going orange, take a picture together, I've got wristbands for you. Be there as a family, say from this moment on, we're going orange. And we're saying it's no longer this and that, but it's all in together. And we recognize there's gonna be a lot of things that take up our time, but we're not gonna miss the be with, being with Jesus, being with one another. And no, it's not gonna be 50-50. That's okay, but in these moments that we identify, we're gonna choose what's better. But I wanna do my part as your pastor and leader of your church, so let me put this number up here. I'm gonna help you. If that's you, then if you'll text orange to this number, let me put it up there for you, 678-944-8690. Text orange to that number. I will help guide you along the way to help. Well, what does it really look like to lead my family when we can't be at church? What does it look like to have those conversations on the car ride home? What do we do during bedtime prayers? How do my, my spouse and I pray together? All those types of things. We wanna help you the best that we can. So I will be, that's my commitment to you. If you'll commit to going orange through this series, I'll commit to helping you take those next steps, to resourcing you. 
so that your faith is not just one and done, but it happens in your home, it happens here and everywhere you go. So it's gonna be some work, but man, it's worth it to be the family that Jesus calls us to have and to be a thriving family, not just functioning, but thriving. Let's pray together. Jesus, we come before you and we thank you so much for what you are doing. God, there's a lot that competes for our time and our energy. And it's not necessarily about getting rid of those things, but it's making the most of the other time that we do have. So help us know when to press in. Help us know when to lean in to just be with you and to be present with you. To have both the the hands of Martha, but not to neglect the heart of Mary. But Jesus, we need to start at the very beginning, personally trusting in you. We can't lead a thriving family if we don't first trust you. So whether for the first time or multiple times that we have said this, Jesus, we trust you. We need you. We invite you into our hearts. We invite you into our lives. We invite you into our family and commit to not just giving you some time, but giving you everything. Jesus, help us to build our lives on you. Nothing and no one else, but only you. In Jesus' name, amen.